there was one disaster <laughs> at the beginning of the Moen House journey that just has made our whole team hyper paranoid. I think it was probably our first ever major artist. We basically had a delayed start to the stream. We're doing some very high stakes stuff that's live. We have like thousands of paying customers wanting access to a live thing. And it was just such a terrible disaster because we were getting DDoS attacked. Amazon Web Services had some base cap on our account. We had no clue when it was gonna go back up. You know, having thousands of fans tweet at you constantly, having, you know, the agent and the artist like freak out. When is it up, Arjun? When's it up? Get it up. Like, I know we're just a seed stage startup, but like, we're not in Little Leagues. We're doing some very high stakes stuff. It was just one hour of the most concentrated stress I've ever experienced in my entire life. It feels like we went through war. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Creator Economy Podcast. Today I'm interviewing Arjun Mehta, CEO and founder of Moment House, a premium live streaming platform for artists. If you think that the live streaming market has already been won by the behemoth social companies, Arjun is here to tell you that you are wrong. When AEG and Live Nation canceled global touring at the beginning of the pandemic, artists needed to find another way to keep their businesses afloat. And that's when Arjun launched Moment House. They've already done shows with some of the biggest names in the music industry, like Tame Impala, Kygo, St. Vincent, Halsey, and a New Year's Eve concert with Justin Bieber. They've sold over a million tickets for premium live streams, and Arjun has assembled a roster of investors that I think give Moment House more than a fighting chance of breaking into an industry that has historically proved difficult to crack. Scooter Braun, Troy Carter, and Jared Leto have all invested in the company. Arjun is one of the few people, in my opinion, who has this unusual depth of respect for both technology and brand building that's required to make a company like Moment House successful. I wanted to ask Arjun about the product's viability post-pandemic, how he's been able to attract the biggest creators in the world, and what the future of live streaming will look like. I'm Jack Conti, CEO and co-founder of Patreon, and this is the Creator Economy Podcast. And the usual disclaimer before we jump in, I'm a believer and also an investor in Moment House. Arjun grew up in the Bay Area, but he went to college at USC in LA, where he took a class with Jimmy Iovine, co-founder of Interscope Records and founder of Beats with Dr. Dre. Jimmy believed in Arjun and eventually became an investor in Moment House. The first thing I wanted to know was how that relationship got started. I went through this program at USC, University of Southern California, started by Jimmy Iovine and Dr. Dre, the Beats guys. It's, it's a bit of a story, but I'll keep it really short. Uh, as they sold Beats to Apple, they donated $70 million of that to USC because Jimmy's philosophy was there needs to be an institution that is very interdisciplinary. So it spans design, business, engineering, kids that can basically speak all three languages and not be boxed into one silo. And I think being part of that first class is what really made the difference because I actually got to build a relationship with Jimmy. Uh, he's less involved uh, a little bit now. But just learning from him directly on how to think about things, how to really value and integrate 
culture and really understand LA and really understand culture and, and, and treat it as seriously as the tech that you're building. And uh, I feel like there are very few companies that really understand that bridge. I, I think it's like Beats, Apple, Snap. You know, it's it's hard to know. I think some of the newer startups started by Gen Z kids, they really get it. But uh, that was the big takeaway from the school. And the curriculum was grounded in, hey, we're going to teach you design, business, and engineering. And then senior year, go and build something. So it was like the perfect middle ground between college and like a Teal Fellowship, actually. I think more schools should, should do what this school did. And then f- fast forward a couple years to the beginning of Moment House. How did Moment House get started? I wish I had a cool story. I wish I was in a band uh, called Poplamoose or, or something similar. And, and I was dealing with the problem and I had to fix my own problem. But I know I just need to build stuff for the rest of my life. Like I just have it. I can't imagine doing anything else. It's just what I really enjoy doing. Uh, it's just like a creative outlet. And so I would just like show up to my dad's office every day because I need some office space and like a desk. And I would just like write out these like two page memos on a new idea every single day. And then one of those memos, I just sat there and thought and wrote all day. <laughs> Pretty, pretty, uh, pretty boring story. What were some of the memos <laughs> that you didn't go with? Um, I was obsessed with like, I, I mean, I just, I really hear about education and like how to democratize it. How do you build a global school? And and then I realized, wait, I can't build a curriculum. Like that's, that's a very tall order. I don't even know how to build a class. But then I was thinking, okay, virtual classroom, virtual events. Oh, virtual events. Interesting. Like, oh, ticketed virtual. What, so what does somebody want? And I was reading a lot of creator economy stuff. Like Legion was posting the passion economy thing. So that was kind of, I think, one of my thoughts going into this and it's like wow like if I'm an artist or creator or if I'm anyone for that matter and I want to go live on the internet with a high quality experience and I want to charge for it because it's a quality experience how would I do it and then I started googling I'm like all right ticketed digital events ticketed live stream ticketed events uh, and nothing really came up there was like stageit.com that was the closest thing I found stageit is an early live streaming platform that Pomplamoose my band used to use back in 2010 and 2011 It was amazing for us because we could sell tickets to a live online show and get tips as well. And we'd play for 45 minutes or so and make 2,000 bucks. It was an incredible product for us as a band. So I guess as you're like concepting this out in this memo, you know, yeah, the, the other thing on my mind is Facebook was in the space. Twitter had acquired Periscope. Periscope had been trying to get into this. Instagram, you know, launched live. Everybody kind of launched live. What made you feel like there was a hole there? And what made you feel like there was something different about this? Premium. It had to be premium. So the whole monetization model being direct-to-consumer ticketing versus ad-based and the feeling around the event being special and not commodity, not, oh, someone's live, let me drop in, or like... Oh, this is a free thing I'm just jumping into. But feeling more like when you hear Conor McGregor's about to fight Floyd Mayweather. Like, wow, like, you know, how do you take that feeling of people around the world are spending money on this digital global experience and gathering and even like having their friends over and throwing these dinner parties and everyone's around the TV watching Conor and Floyd go at it. And it's like this special moment that brought people together. The business model works. And it's like, how do you take that and scale that and and make that more universal and more horizontal. I think this model has been limited to combat sports for like 30, 40, 50 years. And it just stayed there. And it's like, whoa, but what if I'm Sean Mendes? What if I'm Joe Rogan? What if I am a creator with an audience and I don't box and fight people? What if I just have an art or a craft or, you know, create a vision for a 
you know, a special content experience and I want to make a moment out of it. And I had a lot of the Jimmy and Dre like beats inspiration in my head as well as I'm approaching this. And, and I knew a lot of these things have to do with how you position, how you frame it. And I knew that like design had a big role to play. I knew the name really mattered because we're going to be fighting an uphill battle. And so I knew that, okay, it's got to be named perfectly. Like these are moments where moment house feels a little bit premium, feels elegant. I knew that the design had to feel very elevated. Everything needs to feel special. That's the biggest feeling. I'm a big fan of like working backwards from the feeling. And there's this really fine line between sleazy pay-per-view and a credit card form on a rectangular media player saying, hey, give me your credit card if you want to unlock this box. And there's a fine line between that and like, wow, here's this special moment. I, I'm so excited to be a part of it. I need to grab my credit card and buy a ticket quickly, you know? And I honestly think like the difference between the two feelings, like it, it, it's really just product design and the way you position it. Arjun's point about this premium experience for creators to give their fans really resonates with me. For the first 20 years of the web, the internet was free. Art, news, video, everything. The only business model really was ad revenue. But two decades into that world, it's become quite clear that ad revenue alone isn't enough to fuel global creation on the web. Entire industries like news and music have turned upside down, with global music revenues dropping from a peak of over 21 billion in 2000 to under 7 billion just 15 years later. And what's starting to emerge as a key revenue stream for media companies is the premium business model. Whether it's an ad-free reading experience like the UK's Guardian or a paid subscription service for high-quality movies and music like Disney Plus and Spotify, the premium paid offering is proving to be a great business model for the modern internet-age media company. In February of this year, an article came out in the New York Times explaining that their digital subscription business was over 50% bigger than their ads business. Their ad revenue for 2020 clocked in at about $392 million. But the New York Times digital subscription revenue came in at $598 million. I believe this experimentation with segmenting a content stream into a free and a paid offering, in other words, the emergence of premium, will be widely adopted, not just by media companies, but by creators, too. Technologies and services like Moment House are steps in that direction. A lot of people work back from the problem statement. They focus on a problem. And I guess what's interesting to hear you talk about this is you're talking about a feeling that you want people to have versus a problem that they're having. Like for me, starting Patreon, I was working backwards from a problem. I have a million fans and millions of views on a regular basis, but I'm not making money as an artist. What the heck? That's crazy. I need a salary to keep making these things that millions of people are watching. That was the problem that I was having. And I worked backwards from there. Okay, how do I solve that? But you're working backwards from a feeling. And I mean, a lot of great product organizations start with that problem. What is the problem that the person is having? I guess what's really interesting to hear about your approach is not thinking of it as a problem, but thinking about it as an experience and a feeling that you want that person to have. Do you also use the problem framework? Yeah, so I, it started with the problem for sure. I guess I quickly moved past it because like, uh, well, it felt like fundamental infrastructure was missing from the internet if I couldn't just go live 
and charge tickets for that felt like wow like in 2019 for stageit.com to be the only way for me to do that and it just just felt odd that I couldn't do that and I was thinking like well if you have a Bieber on one side of the spectrum and this is true now like I, you know I, I, I'm not talking hypotheticals like they could be making millions of dollars for each of these and bypass the whole music industry <laughs> middleman you know everything and then on the other side of the spectrum I'm thinking okay and it's very similar to you know what patreon's all about and the whole thousand fans theory so it's like direct to consumer digital it, it is really the only way for that creator to have a hope of becoming this like middle class creator I'm just going to read some of your investors here. Troy Carter, Scooter Braun, Steve Stout from United Masters, Kygo and his manager, Post Malone and co-manager Austin Rosen, Logic's manager Chris Zero and Jared Leto. You have like and Jack Conti. Uh, and and me. I'm also an investor in Moment House. I mean, this is like, you know, music tech startups would kill for this cap table. How did you go from this two-page memo to that investor base and having raised? Right now, it's like, what, your total is 13 and a half million in terms of total raised? How did you yeah. go from, from, that, from the memo to that? Yeah, um, it's actually super sequential. So first was like, all right, there's this crazy lack of this very basic infrastructure that needs to be built, number one. Number two was, okay, if we really want this to become a cultural phenomenon and mainstream, I would say that the, the, the biggest challenge in the way of that is how do we position it and brand it in such a way that it's cool? I felt like our biggest task was we had to reverse that. And that's where the whole designing and working backwards from the feeling came into play. And like for the first three, four months of Moment House, it was just myself and a designer and that was it. And I think that, you know, the the list of people you just said, like, I think they really gravitated towards that. They they saw that we were paying deep, deep attention to the user experience. And, and as I was kind of like wrapping up the design and brand identity, COVID struck in, in the U.S. And so really put, you know, pedal to the metal. And I, you know, just started reaching out to all the talent agencies um, because I was like, okay, these are the four like umbrella aggregators of all talent. Like maybe that's a good place to start. Uh, and they were all canceling tours. So I'm like, hey, why don't you check this thing out? You, you know, your artists can do this. It's, it's COVID proof. You can make money off of it. Why don't you try it out? And it was really funny because I, the, the, the first reactions I was getting from everybody was, hey, we're going to look greedy doing this. Like, isn't content supposed to be free? We don't want our fans to feel like we're nickel and diming them. And I was like, ah, oh, I knew it. I knew you'd feel this way. This How did you get way. over that blocker? Uh, just kept hammering them. <laughs> I was like, check this out. Here, here's, you know, hey, like, uh, I, I think it also took a little bit of time. I think it took time for people to realize that COVID was going to be longer than they thought it would be but also showcasing how we were different from the others and having them realize like, hey, we built this thing before the pandemic. Look at the attention we're paying to design. Look how the artists will be well represented. It's not going to look cheap. It's not going to look greedy. It's not going to look sleazy pay-per-view like. It's going to feel like a special grand moment. So that's where all the design and uh, stuff really helped. And artists really care. There were several moments with the artists like Black Bear, Kay Trinata, Tame Impala, where I'd heard through the manager and my team that like the artists themselves had looked at the website and thought it was dope. But but eventually we got our first case study, Aurora. She's like this Norwegian artist. She posted about on Instagram like four or five times a tweet and she grossed 20 grand. 
And that was the moment of like, oh my God, like everything was theoretical. Everything was like a hope, like hopefully this will work. Hopefully this isn't just some crazy idea that I'm delusional about. Um, <laughs> but, but when I saw those numbers come in, it was like, okay, if Aurora can make this off the strength of like five, six Instagram posts and a tweet, like what about that artist? What about this creator? What about that size? What about this size? And it was just the perfect first case study. Um, sorry. So to answer your question, <laughs> long story short, like, you know, I think having that vision and, and just the focus on user experience, I think people really understood and appreciated that. And it was always my ambition to make it a point to be a tech and entertainment. There's a tech piece, there's a content piece. I want to make sure that like we have people on both sides of the equation and it feels like that intersection. And so, you know, we, we have the, you know, the Kygos and the Scooters and Troys, but then we also have the Jack Contes and we have the, you know, David Crane of Google and the Jess Leah Sequoia and, and Kirsten Green, a forerunner who ended up leading our round. Let's talk about the tech half for a second, because I feel like we've talked a little bit about the brand half and the entertainment half. On the tech and the product side, what are the actual features and product experiences that differentiate Moment House from the competitors? What are the product experiences that you've kind of solved technologically that make the experience premium? In addition to the brand and the feeling and the colors and the photography and iconography, what are the actual product experiences that make it special? Yeah, well, um, just foundationally on the experience interface side, it's got to be super simple for the creators, super elegant for the fans. Those are kind of like the two Nord stars. And so the end-to-end experience in the fan should feel frictionless. And, and, and there's been a lot of thought that's gone into all the details around it because uh, I'm a big believer in, like, you get every detail right, it creates this this feeling of, wow, this feels great, and I don't know why. You can't, like, attribute to any one big visible thing, but it feels good. And at a feature level, in terms of, like, feature differentiation, it's just the way we're thinking about it differently, which is, I, I know at the service level we look like a media company, but it's more of a social platform, I would say, than, than even a media platform, especially, you know, as, as where we're taking it from here to the sort of next next version of the product. When we watch every moment, there's this very interesting social pattern that emerges, which is everyone is so excited to connect with one another. Uh, I wouldn't say everyone. There's obviously a lot of people on full screen and just taking in the media, but but a, a significant amount of people. And you see this at the end of every moment. The chat's like, no, we can't let this end. Like someone make a Discord server. Here's my Instagram. Hey, here's my Instagram. Hey, add me, add me. Someone make a group chat. Add me on Snap. People want an after party. People, people want to just make friends, stay connected, and they don't want the party to end. Um, and, and that's when I realized, like, wow, like, the beauty of ticketing on the internet, and I, I, I feel like, you know, Patreon's very similar, just any sort of paywall, is that it filters out the casual fans, filters out, of course, all the bad actors and trolls, thankfully, or most of them, like 99% of them, and filters in this core, passionate fan base. And once they're gathered in at a moment around this, like, beautiful piece of content, they just want to make friends. But, you know, I think there's three axes to look at it by, which is one is like, how do you make it easier to connect when you're at a digital experience? How do you make it easier? How do you make the connection deeper? And then how do you enable the connections to persist? So that way, I I feel like if you solve each of those three problems, you've got a real social experience. It's true that a paywall filters out most of the trolls and the bad actors. At least that's what we found on Patreon. One of our creators who was talking about their membership in a post recently said it like this. Trolls don't pay to troll. So it's beautifully bullshit free. 
And it's that way because as a platform, we're not going for volume. Patreon's not trying to get billions of users. We're just trying to help creators bring a small but key portion of their fans to their membership. In our strategy, we refer to these members as the fans who matter most. It's the fans who go to the shows and buy the t-shirt and follow the creator on their socials and the fans who've had their lives changed by the creators they love. It's the small portion of a creator's fans who represent a disproportionate amount of value to that creator and their business. A premium offering like a membership may only be 5% of the creator's full fan base, but it's the 5% of fans who matter most. And for all intents and purposes, it is troll-free. What are your hypotheses for making connections deeper? Yeah. Um, so on the easier side, it's um, l- let's create some subgrouping. Clearly, you can't have you know twenty thousand people together. Can we make groups of like five, ten, fifteen? Great. Now it's easier. Now, how do you make them deeper? The interest subgrouping is is one, but also like giving you new modes of of communication. So like voice, like Clubhouse has shown us, is pretty powerful. So we have audio chat as well. So within these subgroups, you have two options. You can text chat. You can also go into the audio chat and, and talk. So, you know, you can connect on a more human level, but you don't have the, you know, the content moderation stuff of video. And so that's that's how we're thinking about it. Um, so and like, is that in production right now? Yes. Audio yes, chat. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's great. And, and what's really cool, uh, just a quick story, is like we've seen some really interesting creators, a shared creator of ours, Tiny Meat Gang, Cody Conoel Miller, uh, YouTubers, podcasters, and, and rappers. They had a moment and they ha- they're in a studio just like this one. They have a TV screen playing the chat. And so they're interacting with the chat constantly while they're doing their show. And then they're going into audio rooms and surprising people, interacting with them. That interaction's on the TV screen, like the who's talking thing, you know, the clubhouse-like bubbles. And 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 then that whole experience goes out. So while you're watching, you're like, oh, let me make a room, let me make a room, maybe Cody will pop into mine. And so it's this interesting... interesting it's very much like bringing a fan on stage. Yeah. It's yeah. like the digital version of that. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. How big is the team? How big is the development uh, team? Our entire team's 30 people in the U.S. And then, and then a couple people in Asia as well. And how about your focus as a founder? Is it more on the brand and the go-to-market side or is it more on the product side or are you splitting your time? It's everything, as you know. <laughs> it's it's a lot of product uh, and a lot of go-to-market. Navigating this industry has been very, very tricky. It, it's a lot of relationship building, a lot of trust earned, and a lot of having the right people speaking the right language. So that's that was my next question, which is how does Moment House grow? Yeah. A couple ways. One is we, you know, obviously we, we, we deepen into music and we continue doing that. And I would say at this point, we built the number one brand in, in the music industry when it comes to premium digital experiences. Number two is we expand to other verticals. So Tiny Meat Gang was a great example of a podcast creator using the platform and grossing like hundreds of thousands of dollars simply by doing their podcast show but true live and interactive, which is really great to see. And I think what podcast creators and YouTube creators have over music creators, they have this owned distribution channel that allows them to very easily promote it, whereas music music artists have to kind of rely on Instagram and Twitter. KSI goes on his YouTube channel, goes like, I'm doing this very exciting thing, buy tickets here, you know, Cody Khan, his podcast is like, guys, we're doing this true live interactive version of the show. You know, so it's it makes things a little bit easier. 
So anyways, you know, go deep into music, expand to other verticals like podcasts, YouTube, also go downstream. So we have a self-service product. We were always a self-service company, but we kind of put that on hold once COVID happened because we realized a top-down go-to-market was uh, actually very possible now with people kind of sitting at home. But now we're back on, okay, let's, we really want to open this up. Like, so was, was that, deli- th- th- that, that go-to-market strategy was deliberate. Start with top market creators. Yeah. Get the word out inspire the kind of mid-market creators to see what's happening and then have folks and then basically open up moment house exactly accessible exactly because so much of this is category creation (laughs) um that where where it's like in order to jumpstart the category you know we have to get the biggest artists in the world doing the coolest things you know if if we if we had done a bottoms up approach there was a chance that like we would have never really broken through into mainstream and even self-service creators, grassroots creators would be like, oh, like, why should I do this? Like, this isn't cool. I believe that creator-first culture will be one of the biggest strategic differentiators for the next wave of internet companies. The last 20 years of the web have prioritized advertisers and consumers, and it's brought a ton of innovation and a lot of great consumer products online. But there's a new wave of companies emerging that see creators as their ultimate customer, and consumers as a creator's customers. That's how we've structured it at Patreon. We view creators as the ultimate customer. They're the people we serve. It doesn't mean that we don't build products with fans in mind. Of course we do. It's impossible to be truly creator-friendly unless creators' fans are able to have a great, seamless experience. But ultimately, the whole company exists to serve creators. In every line of code, every policy update, every teammate we hire, everything we do is done with creators at the heart of the decision. That singular focus and priority is a real strategic advantage for companies like Moment House and this next wave of creator-first companies emerging now. Are you thinking about content policy yet as you open up the platform and and make it available to, to more artists and, and make it self-serve? Definitely. I feel like that's kind of table stakes in today's day and age. And like, uh, you know, looking at the Facebooks of the world, you, you can't help but kind of think about that from day one. Otherwise, you're not being responsible. So I, I think we're, we're in this beneficial position with it. You know, the content's kind of pre-scheduled. It's, it's not like, oh, I'm going live now and we have like a five second heads up. So we always have time to review. I think where it gets a little bit tricky is when some of the non-rated G stuff is like, you know, part of the art. Then it's like, okay, like that's where it becomes a little bit gray area and we kind of have to make, make calls like that. But if the content is explicitly made for like, you know, there's no art to it. It's just <laughs> explicit content. Then, uh, then we, 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 don't, we don't allow it. But that brings us back to the fundamental question of what is art? So it's all about, is this a platform where a a creator would be proud to associate with, basically? Like, that's that's the way we approach it. I think that's the question to ask. What's your thinking around competition with the Facebooks and Instagrams of the world, YouTubes, Twitches? Are you concerned that they're going to spin up more premium efforts to try and pull more of those experiences up into those platforms? Yeah, um, it's a good question. What is a moment? A moment is content, commerce, and community coming together as part of this premium, ephemeral period of time. 
And uh, there's so many features that come together to form <laughs> something that works for all kinds of artists and isn't just like, you know, otherwise you'd be constantly building custom requirements for every single one. You know how it goes. So it's just, and, and the level of product specialization is, is obviously very important, number one. Number two is that, you know, the brand really matters because it's like, you know, we really care about that. And so we, we will always present them in that light. I'm not sure if a Facebook will. Twitch has, has you know, deal with coming out of gaming. I also think like you think of something like YouTube and imagine I've heard this from creators. It's not just me saying this, but like they don't want to charge their fans $15 for something and then give them a YouTube link at the end of that transaction. It feels a little like YouTube has been drilled into everyone's minds for the past, I don't know, 10, 15 years that it's free content. It's very tough to overcome that. But, but also more importantly, lastly, the creator friendliness, right? So YouTube, Twitch, they will never give even email data, you know, of your of your audience. And so, you know, we do that. Very data transparent. With one click, they can export all the emails, the geographies of where they are. They can, like, route their tours better. So so all kinds of things we will do to, to make the creators feel like, hey, this is your platform. But also on the product front, it's, it's also how do we evolve this to be a social experience, like truly social, and, like, our pace of product innovation there is moving fast and is only going to increase. And so to get all that machinery to work together seamlessly, elegantly, in a way that, you know, minimizes human error as you're innovating on the social side and adding new things to do and new interactivity things, it's a challenge. And, you know, when you combine that complexity and execution with brand and then creator friendliness, I think those three things are how we look at our moat. So you said recently that you think Moment House is a metaverse company. Talk to me about that. Yeah, so... I think the the hardest part once you build a virtual world, right, whether it's Decentraland or Sandbox or even like Second Life is like, all right, what do I do in this world? Like, what what am I doing here? What what activities are there? Obviously, games are a big one. And you see a lot of like game-centric approaches to, to metaverse building, you know, like Roblox and Fortnite, of course. But, you know, there, there's going to be a very big need for a large portfolio of premium digital experiences. And when I think about Moment House, I don't think we're like locked into 2D. We're building a content machine on, on one side. On the left side, we're ingesting and inputting all kinds of creators from Justin Bieber to unknown artists, from you know, big podcast to small podcast, from KSI, big YouTuber to small YouTuber. And on the other side, and you know, we're we're outputting hundreds uh, and ultimately thousands of premium digital experiences. Today, the interface is a 2D screen that you can put on your Apple TV, put on your MacBook, iPad. Tomorrow, instead of there being a camera crew, it could very easily be a motion capture studio. Instead of it being a 2D layout, it's a uh, 3D experience. I I think the harder part is to build that big content machine that can do this at scale efficiently and in a way that respects the artist's creative process and as a company that like creators actually want to work with because they like the people and all that kind of stuff like all the humans part of it and so that that's how i'm looking at moment house which is like it, it you know the need for digital experiences will only grow as we move into 3d and virtual worlds and, and metaverse and i feel like we're building you know the leading machine <laughs> that that does that and it's not limited to just 2d when do you see that happening? No, not even for for you, but when do you when do you see some of the future around metaverse starting to take shape and and hitting mainstream? Personally, I, I don't know about when. Like, I, if you were to ask me what year, 
couldn't tell you. But I feel like there's two approaches to world building. There's like the game-centric approach and the non-game-centric approach, and game-centric is the, the Roblox's Fortnite. I think non-game-centric approach will be when artists are deeply motivated to establish 3D presences. And I think there's, this is for another conversation, but I feel like there's a series of like economic motivators you can design that would motivate an artist to maintain a 3D presence the same way that they're super motivated to maintain their Twitter presence. And I think that would be the tipping point of of it, you know, not just being like this 3D game-like thing to being like something that the average person accesses. And this is where you see Moment House going over the next decade. You're not working on it right now, but you see it actually becoming this 3D experience and uh, being part of that. Yeah, and, and we'll, ad- we'll adapt. Like, we, we can always be 2D and 3D. Like, we will navigate that shift uh, with one foot in both worlds. Because I think the harder part is just building that, like, economic model that makes sense for them to even do digital experiences in the first place. I think we didn't have that, like, three or four or five years ago. Like, there was no big economic incentive, like, I should be putting this as part of my core portfolio, you know, tool, marketing my album, you know, Halsey's team, Capitol Records, Universal Music Group, they see these things like, wow, like this is something that we should just build into how we operate as a company and as, as artists. So for them to just get over that hurdle is like the big one. Now it's like, okay, we will make sure that as a company, we're not just limited to 2D, but as 3D, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll make sure to, to track it very closely and adapt to it as it gets more and more prevalent. So you'll you'll keep doing mail-in DVDs as you're building a live exactly. streaming platform. Okay. <laughs> that's a really, yeah, that's a funny way to put it. Yeah, okay. yeah, that's, 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 yeah, that's exactly it. Um, Let's talk about COVID for a second, because you mentioned how COVID was this catalyst for the business. As COVID starts to resolve, fingers crossed, do you expect Moment House to slow down a little bit? Do you think it's hit kind of a tipping point? What's your thinking on the resolution of COVID over the yeah. next couple of years and, and the growth of Moment House? So interestingly, what's happened as, as COVID started to end is we've had more qualified leads and, and interest than ever before, but our partnership cycles have gone longer. So our approach is, okay, let's make sure that moments and digital experiences are injected into their core operations. And so as an artist, you have two core activities. You, you put out albums and you tour, right? You know this way better than I do. And there's processes associated with each core activity. If we can embed moments as part of those processes, that'll be amazing. Because now we're, it's not like this thing on the side, but it's it's part of how they operate. So on the touring side, we're creating this concept called a digital tour stop, which is we believe the last date of every tour should be a worldwide cinematic experience accessible to anyone on, on the planet. And so if you look at, for example, Tanache, you know, the R&B uh, singer, if you look at her official tour ad mat, her last date's Seattle, physical date, and then it's like Moment House for the worldwide cinematic. And we believe every tour should be that way. Every tour should have a global component to it. On the album side, it's, you know, Halsey is the sort of case study there, which is album came out Thursday and Sunday she hosted this global social gathering of her core fans from all around the world and and enjoyed together this 45 minute performative content piece that was really well produced and now she has this incredible long form content she can repurpose for whatever she has a bunch of fans that have a memory around the album and doesn't matter if they're in Brazil or Ecuador or like Latvia you know and she was able to create all this buzz on, on Twitter and social media and there's very clear value props on both sides and we're just injecting ourselves into the two core processes in the music business. How do you think the music industry is going to evolve over the next 10 years? It's gone through so much change over the last decade or two. What do you think is coming next for music? What's it going to look like in the music industry 10 years from now? 
I think the most exciting thing is like, I don't know. And, and that's a, the, the answer is, I don't know, because it could be anything. I mean, I, I'm seeing just how fast so many people in the business are, are understanding technology. I'm all honestly surprised by it because I've always heard of the music industry being this like monolithic, like hard to change establishment, doesn't adapt to the times and everything. But the people I interact with, uh, now, like all these managers, like, I mean, I'm, I'm shocked they adopted NFTs that quick. That blows my mind, you know? It's not an easy thing to understand. <laughs> I thought it was going to stay Silicon Valley crypto, you know, for, for a while. And, and a lot of these managers are very, very, very forward thinking. And so, so just their exposure to technology and their open-mindedness towards change. And then also the, the pandemic has made the business so malleable. Any kind of innovation, like we should consider it because, you know, what was preposterous sounding could actually work because we, we just went through the most preposterous thing ever. <laughs> you mentioned NFTs. Are you thinking about crypto and NFTs and how to incorporate that into the Moment House experience? Yeah, definitely. And I, I, you know, everyone's always talking about how, hey, NFTs are lacking utility. They need utility. And I think that like digital experiences are the best complement to NFTs for utility because they're globally accessible, right? If you have an NFT, it's like, oh, this gives you backstage access to my concerts. But it's like, all right, well, are you really going to tour every city in the world? No. So, so a digital experience, you know, kind of matches the scale of the NFT's global sort of audience. And so, you know, there's some really interesting ideas where imagine if you hold an NFT, that grants you access to a quarterly interactive live stream with a particular artist or celebrity or talent. Like now that NFT just has so much more value. So I think using NFTs as, as ticketing. But, but tradable tickets that persist over the long, it's not like a ticket to a one-time event, but it's like, you know, maybe every three months, there's something really intimate and stripped down and, and cool, something like that. Um, so that's like one example of many. But, and but have the, you done those types of partnerships and integrations we're, yet? Or we're working you? on them right now. Yeah, yeah. We, we want to be very deliberate about what we do because there's so much noise that we want to make sure that <laughs> whatever we do really cuts through. And then how about cryptocurrency in general? Are you, what's your approach to cryptocurrency? Are you going to accept crypto as payments for tickets? We haven't yet. We want to. It's just we haven't really prioritized. There's so many things to build, as you know, always. I think social tokens are obviously the future. I think everyone kind of knows that's just a matter of time. It just makes too much sense. And so I think there will be a point where we may accept a certain amount of social tokens, you know, in order to be able to buy a ticket or maybe that is the ticket. But basically, what, what clearly needs to be built is a bridge. Like, I think we have this amazing digital experiences platform. You have all these NFTs out in the world that are searching for utility. You have all these social tokens out there that are also searching for utility. Like, the question when you launch an NFT social token is like, hey, what is this grant access to? What is it? Like, the best complement is really, you know, a digital experience. And so our goal is to build that bridge that enables us as as a gating to a digital experience to allow a certain amount of social tokens or a particular NFT to allow you through the gate. So your thinking is basically you are the utility that the NFT exactly. or the social ticket or a social token provides uh, a user yeah, access Yeah, and, and of course there's you know multiple ways you can deliver utility. Um, you could deliver like pre-sale access to cons- like a physical tour tickets or maybe there's certain merch on the on the Shopify store that's only available for someone who holds like 10 Bieber tokens or whatever. But I think digital experiences are, are going to be like a strong pillar of utility uh, for NFTs in the future. In this journey that you've been on the last couple of years, 
What are some of the misses? What are some of the mistakes or a particularly big mistake that you've made? A bet you took that didn't pan out or when you think back on that time, I guess, what makes you cringe? What are the what are the tough moments? And the reason I bring it up and ask you about it is because I think, you know, a lot of people talk about the importance of failure and talk about the importance of celebrating mistakes. Very few people actually do it and come out and talk about the actual mistakes and and what they learned from them. So with that said, what is something that you've actually learned from? What's a mistake that has influenced your approach to company building and made you a better product designer, uh, creator advocate? Yeah, I would say there was one disaster (laughs) at the beginning of the Moment House journey that just has made uh, not just myself, but our whole team just like hyper paranoid and in a very healthy way. Uh, One of our first major artists. I think it was probably our first ever major artist. So our engineering team is like a skeleton crew of like, <laughs> like, like, you know, maybe like three people. And uh, we basically had a delayed start to the stream because all kinds of issues were happening behind the, the scenes. You know, we, we were getting DDoS attacked. We were, <laughs> there was Amazon Web Services had some base cap on our account as a fresh, you know, IVS user, interactive video service, one of the services. And it was, uh, it was just such a terrible disaster because, you know, we had <laughs> thousands of people tweeting at us. We had no clue when it was going to go back up. <laughs> it was just one hour of the most concentrated stress I've ever experienced in my entire life <laughs> because uh, the artist had, um, he had put together a, it was a pre-recorded piece of content. They'd put together a nice backyard party at his home. His parents were there, his girlfriend, his agent. They had like heaters and blankets. And he was freaking out that I wasn't working, putting pressure on the agent. Agents calling me every two minutes saying, when is it up, Arjun? When's it up? Get get it get it up. Like, <laughs> just, <laughs> you know. And then uh, just the, the scariness of not knowing when it's going to go up. You know, having thousands of fans tweet at you constantly, having, you know, the agent and the artist like freak out and then just worrying about, oh, my God, I hope the next artists don't lose trust in us because, you know, artists are trusting us with their brand. Their brand is the most important thing. And since then, it's been like a uh, uh, like it's been like a flip of a switch since like we, we switched like, all right, we're paranoid now. <laughs> like, <laughs> this, this is we're, we're not in the kid leagues anymore, we're not in the little leagues. Like I know we're just a seed stage startup, but like we're, we're doing some very high stakes stuff that's live. We have like thousands of paying customers wanting access to a live thing. These are the stands. These are the super fans that tweet all the time. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and then we don't want to rile them up. And then we have artists and agents that are, you know, just they, they've, they've trusted us. But it's like the, the levels of protocols now that we have and precautions and like the weekly risk meetings and uh, just the level of rigor now that we uh, approach with all these things. We have like three contingency plans for any true life production. Our customer support team has like all the different cases and you know, code red, code green, code yellow. Um, how have events like that shaped <laughs> the culture? Immensely, immensely shaped it. And 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 how? Ha- what is your approach to to culture now? Yeah, um, it, it's so interesting. I always feel like we're in this like we're not the typical startup again. Like, there's so many things that make us atypical. It's like we're half traditional Hollywood company and half tech and. And, and when we had Justin Bieber, we were a seed stage startup, you know, like that just doesn't make sense. It, it doesn't. But the point is that like 
It feels like we went through war. That's how it feels at the company. It just brought us all way closer together. The, number one, you know, number two is, you know, when COVID struck, uh, there were like 50 competitors that jumped into the market. So it, it just felt like we were battling, battling, battling constantly. Every artist, you know, some companies jump in writing crazy checks that are just so irrational. And we're just like, oh my God, like, what are we, we, we can't write that check. This makes zero sense. And then of course that company goes out of business two months later, you know, Thing, so a lot of things like that happen. Now, like the culture is, is definitely shaped by like the importance of what we do and very reliability oriented before at the beginning, we're very, let's go, 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 move fast, iterate, break things fast, push, like who cares when we push code? <laughs> <laughs> we got to push. Uh, we got to ship. Uh, but now it's a little bit more methodical. But it's it's the nature of the business. You know, we have to constantly remind ourselves like we're dealing with some of the biggest brands in the world. And and as much as we want our like our hacker tendencies to outweigh that, we just can't. We simply can't. Thanks, Sergeant. Thanks, man. I'm so excited about what you guys are doing, and uh, it's just so cool. I'm so <laughs> now, excited. Now we got to scale to the to the little guys. All right. <laughs> Cheers to that. Thank you for coming in, Arjun, and and talking with me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, seriously, thank you for having us. Or me. (laughs) Thank you for having me. (laughs) Thank you for having us spoken (laughs) like a true company man. I am so proud to be an investor in Moment House. I think Arjun and team are onto something just so special. Huge thank you to everyone for listening and also to Arjun for taking the time to talk with me. At Patreon, we're actively recruiting the best product designers and engineers and builders in the industry. So if you want to help us build the future of the creator economy, please head on over to patreon.com slash careers. And if you like this episode and you want to hear more, please check out previous episodes with guests Josh Constein, Lee Jin, and Alexis Ohanian. And of course, feel free to subscribe for future episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. Big thanks to our producers, Dave King and Joe Smith, and also to the Patreon team internally helping with this podcast. Brian, John, Kate, Nikhil, Sandeep, Veronica, and Will. Thanks to that crew for making this podcast happen. Okay, everybody, see you next week. Thank you for listening. <laughs>